the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your other host, Peter. Yay. Um, so, we just want to point out to our listeners that we both fixed our mics in a matter of speaking. Yeah, Peter, you bought a new headset mic. Um, and then my mic, I realized I was using completely incorrectly the entire time because it was facing backwards. <laughs> Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact, I can't read. Well, no, okay, with my mic, it's like this rectangular thing with the mesh mic material on the top. But it's exactly the same on the front and the back. So... I didn't realize, like, which was kind of the front area, but the front area has a little green light. So I'm like, okay, maybe I should uh, have that thing facing me. <laughs> yeah, well, you do sound a lot better. Yay. So, for our topic for today on Funk Radio, we noticed that there are a lot of songs, partly only between funk and soul and R&B, but also songs in those genres, along with songs that aren't in those genres, completely unrelated but have the same title and there's actually a lot of examples of this so we figured we would go ahead and talk about some of these songs that have the same title but are completely not related to each other whatsoever yeah it's pretty crazy yeah it's funny because as you just said like some of the some of the songs we found are both songs are contained within the funk and soul genre but then other instances there's like a song that there's a funk and soul song but then there's another song with the same name that's like classic rock or country or yeah. what have you. So it's kind of funny that like, well, what I, what I was wondering too, I mean, I don't know, I guess we'll never really find an answer to this, but like, mm. how do people not get in trouble for this? Like, how does one band not sue another for having a song of the same name? Maybe they only care if the tune or like the, the lyrics are the same. Like maybe you can't copyright like a title kind of thing. I guess, because I mean, you could you could have, you know, your own shop called Al's Tires or something. But I mean, there could be you know fifty of those across the country, all called Al's Tires, that are owned by different people. But you're Big not necessarily going to sue them. Big Al's Toy Barn. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, I guess you can't. I mean, I couldn't go out and open up a store called Walmart. You could have a store called Peter Mart. <laughs> Or you get all your Just sell Afro wigs. That would be a cool store. But so maybe that's not the best example. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there a little bit. It's it's a lot harder to copyright like a title than it is like a creative endeavor or product, so to speak. Yeah. Because I'm sure there's probably movies with the same name. There's probably mm-hmm. people with the same name. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but to, yeah, to start us off, I guess we can talk about probably one of the more not odd, but like surprising songs that have the same name, because honestly, one of them I didn't even know existed. There's the song Stairway to Heaven, who I'm sure all of you associate with Led Zeppelin. And then there's also apparently a version by the OJs. That's correct. Which is funny because they were written in this round the same time within like two or three years. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. Obviously, uh, Led Zeppelin's was in 71. The OJs was released in November of 75. Right. We could talk about the OJs version first. Okay. Um, as Kyle said, this song is by the OJs, who were a Philadelphia soul-type group, very popular throughout the 70s. The song Stairway to Heaven was released by the OJs in November of 1975 in, their, um, in one of their most acclaimed albums, Family Reunion. 
um, which was released under Philadelphia International Records. The album itself is certified platinum by the RIAA for selling 1 million copies. That's a lot. A few months later, after this album was released, the song Stairway to Heaven was released as a single, but it was packaged as the B-side to the more popular song Living for the Weekend, which is probably more well-known than this one, because I don't think a lot of people know Stairway to Heaven by the OJ. I was going to say, I know Living for the Weekend, but I I had no idea that there was a Stairway to Heaven by the OJs. Right, yeah. Yeah, this isn't one of their more popular songs, but... No, you know, I listened to it, though, and it's it sounds pretty cool. Very gospel-y, I guess, hence the heaven part. But... Kind of, yeah. It's more of a slow ballad-type song. They, they're they kind of well-known for those, although a lot of their more popular songs are actually pretty upbeat and lively, so and kind of a cool thing. But the song's lyrics are about casting off the weight of the world and enjoying the ecstasy of being with the one you love. Now, we actually did bring up this song once before in our show. It might have just been briefly, since it sounds like you've never heard it before, at least that you remember. Way back in our fifth episode, I think it was, when we talked about love making music, we mentioned this song as an example. Well, who, well, who can remember things a year ago? I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> what did I have? I didn't have any. I didn't have anything for breakfast. I had coffee. Because uh. I woke up at 9.30. I'm old. <laughs> Now I really want a breakfast burrito. Oh, God. why? Why did you have to do that to me? I don't know. Man, when I, when I when I was in high school and I used to work at the grocery store after school, mm. um, sometimes on my lunch breaks because in the parking lot was a Jack in the Box, I would go over and get a breakfast burrito from Jack in the Box. That sounds dinner. awesome. <laughs> and then I gained all the weight. Um, but yeah, that was like the one thing there because it was the breakfast burrito, but it had like those little hash brown nuggets in it. Mm. And it was the one thing from Jack of the Box that didn't make me vomit. You're killing me, Kyle. Sorry. <laughs> You're killing me, Smalls. Yeah. So about the song, I so, saw, okay, on that topic of us mentioning it within the topic of uh, love making music, I can't remember where I read this, but I did read this somewhere maybe a couple years ago, and I can't find it now, but someone had a theory about the song that the way that the slow tempo build up eventually into the louder chorus, the way that it does that is apparently supposed to parallel the slow rise and eventual climax during a sexual endeavor. Interesting. And I can, if you listen to it, you can kind of get that from it. Um, I don't know if that was the OJ's intention, but I think that's kind of an interesting uh, interpretation. Peter, have you ever taken a woman up the stairway to heaven? Oh, is heaven is heaven your pants? Yo, it's your pants. <laughs> <laughs> the stairway to my pants. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, to possibly enforce that that theory, I'm gonna read a few of the lyrics from the song. Uh, says, "Quote: Here we go, still in a moment of pleasure. You and I, we are gonna find the pirate's treasure. Here we go, oh baby, here we go, climbing the stairway to heaven." Oh, oh, I just got something. That sounds awesome. Pi- pir- another name for pirate's treasure is booty. Oh, yeah. So we're going we're gonna to find the booty. So you're climbing my pants to find your booty? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. So, I mean, that sounds kind of innuendo-ish. Yeah, see, that totally could have been used for last week's episode. That's true. If you don't know, listeners, our last episode was about funny sexual innuendos in blues and R&B soul songs so check that out for sure i kind of want to hear a little bit of this song now so that i can take my own personal stairway to heaven 
Okay. Well, we hope you do too, listeners. Let's listen to. Uh, I'll I'll take them there. All right. We'll let Kyle take you up the stairway to heaven with a clip of this song by the OJs. That was uh, Stairway to Heaven by the OJs. Much more gospely, I suppose. But Peter's right, it's definitely sort of a slow ballad thing going on there. Now we're going to talk about the more famous version of Stairway to Heaven, the version by Led Zeppelin. And for those of you that have either been born yesterday or living under a rock, um, Led Zeppelin is an English rock band that was very popular in the early to mid-70s, all the way to the late 70s, really. This particular song, Stairway to Heaven, was released in 1971, and it was composed by the guitarist Jimmy Page and vocalist Robert Plant for the band's untitled fourth studio album, often referred to as Led Zeppelin IV. That's pretty cool. This song is often referred to as one of the greatest rock songs of all time. I can see that. <laughs> this is kind of funny. This is a, a fun aside about the song. When I was in middle school, uh, in 7th and 8th grade, I went to like a Lutheran private school because the public school in my area was kind of balls. So... For our 8th grade graduation, we were allowed to vote for sort of the theme song, I suppose, that would be played at the ceremony. And as sort of a joke, but also kind of in sweet denial that they would actually pick it, uh, we all voted for Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin because it was a religious school. So they were like, hey, they're not going to know it's not about heaven. Uh We're so smart and we're in 8th grade. So we all voted that song in and it won by... A landslide, but then the moderators slash teachers, I suppose, of the contest got mad and were like, that's not a viable song. <laughs> so to rule any more shenanigans out, they gave us like a list uh, of viable songs and we just had to vote on one from the list of like ten. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah, I was very sad. Because they're on been... funk radio, there's no limitations to what you want to listen to. Exactly. Um... So that would have been an awesome ceremony. But no. <laughs> So yes, the Stairway to Heaven originated in 1970 when Jimmy Page and Robert Plant were spending a lot of time at Bron Urar, which is a remote cottage in Wales, uh, following Led Zeppelin's Fifth American Concert Tour. So they were kind of just chilling in Wales, you know. Cool. And according to Page, he wrote the music, quote, over a long period, the first part coming at Bron Urar one night. Page always kept a cassette recorder around, and the idea for Stairway came together from bits of music. I'm going to read, like, a quote uh, from Page here. It's kind of long, but it just describes his thoughts on the creation of the song. Cool. He said, quote, I had these pieces, these guitar pieces, that I wanted to put together. I had a whole idea of a piece of music that I really wanted to try and present to everybody and try to come to terms with. A bit difficult, really, because it started out acoustic, and as you know, it goes through... To the electric parts. But we had various run-throughs at Headley Grange, where I was playing the acoustic guitar and jumping up and picking up the electric guitar. Robert was sitting in the corner, or rather leaning against the wall, and I was routining the rest of the band with this idea and this piece. He was just writing, and all of a sudden he got up and started singing, along with another run-through, and he must have had like 80% of the words there. I had these sections, and I knew what order they were going to go in, but it was just a matter of getting everybody to feel comfortable with each gear shift that was going to be coming. That's really cool. Basically, yeah, like com- like 
trying to to acclimate themselves to the complexity of the song hmm. because it's like over almost eight minutes long there's acoustic parts there's you know electric guitar parts there's changes in tempo so probably part of the reason why it's regarded as a, one of the best rock songs because of its i wouldn't say convoluted nature but like complex nature yeah because it's it's like three or four songs in one it's pretty crazy yeah i mean when you listen to it you know you you recognize that it has it kind of shifts in those ways I've never really thought about it in that way that they would actually physically have to, you know, switch instruments. Yeah, I mean, throughout exactly. the song, it's kind of playing kind of on stage. You have to swap between like an electric and acoustic guitars for yeah. different portions. That'd be hard. Yeah, like, what if you like drop it? It's like ah, no. So yeah, I mean, I imagine that that would take a lot of practicing. With everybody's kind of has to be in sync, all switching. Oh my gosh! Everything. I just, yeah. I just thought of the greatest thing ever: an electric guitar, and you flip it over, and it's acoustic. <laughs> That would be really cool. I don't even know how that would work. It would have to have, like, two, uh, what is it, necks. But someone come up with that, please. Um, so, yeah. You just did. I think I did. Well, someone has to actually come up with the logistics of it. I kind of just threw the idea out there. You're the idea, man. <laughs> Physics mean nothing to me. <laughs> so, let's uh, listen to a little clip of Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, for those of you that, for whatever reason, haven't heard the song before. The whole thing is, like, eight minutes long, so... We're not going to play that much because then we would have a really long episode. <laughs> We're just going to play a portion. But um, yeah, so this is Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. listeners um didn't necessarily recognize it by name probably some of those people would uh recognize the tune at least i would hope yeah since this is such a popular song agreed um so yeah that's the first of a couple of those little songs that have the same name but they're not the same as you can tell i would want i was i wonder why the ojs decided to name a song stairway to heaven Maybe, I mean, maybe because the other one was so popular and it was only a few years before that. I was gonna say maybe they were secretly riding off the popularity of the Led Zeppelin song, or maybe they just because there's no way they couldn't have heard it. Oh yeah, I'm sure they were till that plenty point. familiar with it, but I don't know. That's kind of funny. Well, we should ask them. Are they alive still? I think they're still touring. Well, good for them. So. Well, we'll find them on tour and be like, hey, hey guys, hey, hey, why did you name your song "Stairway to Heaven"? You know that's Led Zeppelin song, right? He's right. Get him. <laughs> he knows our secret. Get him. <laughs> Turns out they actually are Led Zeppelin. They just wore as a completely different band name with while wearing disguises and also somehow being black. And then mm. they just, like the lead singer of OJ's just rips off his mask and it's actually Robert Plant. And he's like, get him. <laughs> that is an interesting theory. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, if that was real, Led Zeppelin would be amazing because not only would they be Led Zeppelin, but they would also be one of the leading Philadelphia soul groups. So they would be they're, revolutionary, they're, like two different. Yeah, they would have genres. dominated two different genres for <laughs> most a decade. Well, I guess I'll start us off with our next duo of songs. Um, this is an example of where both are kind of within the R&B soul musical styles. Indeed. The first one is called. Well, like, they're both called A Shining Star, but uh, the first one we're going to talk about is the song by Earth, Wind, and Fire. 
they released a song on their 1975 album, That's the Way of the World, which came out in the same year as Stayway to Heaven by the OGs. Oh, speaking of the song, you know something funny? Mm. Last night on Netflix, I was watching this movie, The Intouchables. Okay. Uh, it's a French film about this young guy who is like some sort of like poor black guy in whatever the French version of the ghettos are. Um, and he apply, he's applying to this job as like an assistant for this really wealthy man who's a quadriplegic. He can't move anything but his head. Mm. And he's just applying to the job just because he has to, like, I guess in France to get welfare or whatever their version of that is, you have to apply to a certain number of jobs and be turned down and prove that you were turned down. Okay. And so he's applying to these jobs that he knows he's never going to get so that he can be turned down and get his, as he called it, his, uh, stipend or something so he was like a total douche in the interview but then the the quadriplegic guy whatever took a liking to him and Mm. uh he had to sign a piece of paper or whatever and he's like well i'm not i'm in no i'm in no condition to sign it now come back tomorrow whatever Mm. it's like oh it comes back but then instead of signing his paper he actually gives him the job and he's like okay you know i'm gonna try you out for a month long story short they end up becoming friends the the guy it's kind of one of those like they show each other the meaning of life kind of thing. Yeah. They change each other for the better. But anyways, the black guy, the I guess I don't want to call him a butler, the assistant in that um, thing is obsessed with like disco music. And his favorite band is Earth, Wind & Fire. And there's a scene where he starts playing the song Shining Star at the quadruplated guy's birthday. Is it <laughs> normally on his birthday because he's like this rich, you know, aristocratic French guy. They like play classical music and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he tries to turn the black guy onto classical music, and he, he's always he's like play, having the orchestra play these different songs, and the black guy's like, "I know that song. That's in a commercial, right, for coffee." <laughs> and then he ends up getting his iPod and playing "Shining Star," and like all the other people at the at the party start dancing, and he's dancing, and the quadriplegic guy's just smiling at him because he can't dance. Mm. Um, but it's just funny because it made me think of that. I thought it was really cool. That's really funny that they had that, that in there. Um, I think it's like a couple of years old. They mentioned Obama, so oh, okay. it uh, probably like 2010. I would. Oh, okay. Because I was imagining this being a lot older, but then you said something about an iPod. No, and no, no. Obama, so I can't, no, it's, <laughs> it's funny because he normally wears like just normal street attire, but then like for for the for that birthday event, actually, he was wearing a suit. And one of the other one of the other people there were like, you know, you look good when you dress up. You look like Obama. <laughs> you don't like damn France. <laughs> That's funny. The movie was actually, like, it's French, so it's subtitled, but it was really, really funny. I, like, totally recommend you guys watch it. What was it called? The Untouchables? It's not The Untouchables, it's The Intouchables, I-N, instead of U-N, I don't know. Okay. But it's on Netflix. Oh, cool. Anyways, that's my that's my two cents. Cool. Um, so that's relevant. Kind of. <laughs> well, it's about this song, kind of. True. So, as I was saying, that's off their 1975 album, That's the Way of the World. I had no idea about this, but apparently the album was written as a soundtrack to a film of the same name, but the film is completely unknown because it was a colossal failure, but this fortunately did not affect the success of this music because the band's leader, Maurice White, refused to put on the label of this album to label it as a soundtrack. Huh. So because the music itself had no visible connection with the film, People like the music, even though they hated the movie. So basically, like they were smart enough to realize, okay, we don't want our music connected with this film, so that if it's a flop, we're a flop. We want it to be like a separate. Possibly, yeah. Or, or maybe he just wanted it to be its own thing. He didn't want it to be a piece of someone else's work. Maybe because maybe he realized that they were good in their own right. Indeed. But I 
found it interesting also partly because I think didn't they get their start doing soundtrack music for black exploitation movies? They did. So I don't know what kind of movie that's the way of the world was, but I guess it doesn't matter because it was terrible. <laughs> but it could not um, be it could not be, have been worse than Watermelon Man. <laughs> oh God, yeah. But I guess this album and this song were really where this group finally got out of making crappy soundtrack music and into being a really popular uh, band in their own right, which is pretty cool. Uh, Shining Star was very successful, becoming their first number one hit on the R&B and Hot 100 charts, and it also won them a Grammy Award for Best R&B Performance by a duo or group with vocals, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Speaking of terrible, terrible black exploitation films, I totally saw, but did not purchase for some reason, the vinyl for the soundtrack to Black Caesar done by James <laughs> Brown. Oh, uh, yeah. I was really tempted to buy it, and what's what's even worse, not worse, but odd, was it was actually a reissue, and it was like Weird. brand brand new sealed, and I was like, who would reissue this? <laughs> <laughs> who would who would say, hey, people didn't buy enough of these, let's make let's more, more. <laughs> let's make more of them. Yeah. But it was like eighteen dollars, and I, I was like, eh. uh, that's kind of a lot for that. Yeah, and I was probably because it was new sealed, but I was just like, uh, well, I would have paid this, a couple bucks for it, but not that. Yeah, yeah it's, it seemed like cool to have as like a gimmick, but definitely not James Brown's best stuff. Yeah. So. Well, there's one or two songs I know from there that are pretty good, but not eighteen dollars. Not eighteen dollars worth of good. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire is considered a prime example of funk music that attained mainstream success, as I was sort of saying before. Not only for them, but just for the genre in general. Mm. Pretty cool. The concept for the song came to Maurice White, who also produced and co-wrote the song while they were the band was recording this album near Boulder, Colorado. He was taking a nighttime stroll and was looking up at the starry night and was inspired by it. So he brought this idea back to the band and they worked it into kind of an inspirational song uh, That's with a positive cute. message. Yeah, the song is definitely very positive. It's it's not even like positive in like a romantic way. It's just like an uplifting, like, hey, you're special. That's true. Kind of way, which is why the song is so awesome and probably connects with so many people because everyone wants to be special. Everyone wants to be a shining star. Yeah. And they are. No, who you, are. you are not unique. You are not a special little snowflake. What? Is it that line from like Fight Club or something where he's like saying, no, you, you are not unique. You are not a special little snowflake. You that are. sounds vaguely familiar. It's been a while it's, since I've It's that stupid whole existential speech that Brad Pitt gives. Mm. Anyways. Aside from Fight Club, we can go ahead and listen to a clip of Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire. First rule of Shining Star, you don't talk about Shining Star. Sorry. We already broke it, so it's true. Once again, that was Shining Star by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Now we're going to talk about another song called Shining Star, and Kyle's going to tell us about that. Yeah, this is actually by the Manhattans, which ironically are from Jersey City, New Jersey, and not in Manhattan. Hmm. But they formed in 1962 with the members George Smitty Smith, Edward Sonny Bivens, Winfred Blue Lovett, Kenny Wally Kelly. These people need to stop having nicknames, I swear. Kenny Wally Kelly 
and Richard Ricky Taylor. Hey, Ricky, like uh, Trailer Park Boys. So there's Smitty, Blue, Wally, Wally and Ricky. Wally. Yes. <laughs> Bivens, Lovett, and Kelly, who I'm not going to say their nicknames, were graduating <laughs> from Lincoln High School. And while well, Taylor and Smith were actually graduating from Snyder High School for both local high schools in Jersey City area. Uh, and all five of them actually enlisted in the armed forces and came together as a group following their discharges from their respective branches. Interesting. So they all joined the military in some degree and then, I guess, were friends while in the military and came together once they all, once the war ended. Cool. So this particular uh, song, Shining Star, was released as a single in 1980, and it reached number five on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, and it stayed there for three weeks, so pretty popular. Um, it also peaked at number four on the Hot R&B and Hip Hop charts, See, by 1980, they had already made it the R&B slash hip-hop. It was actually the group's highest-charting hit since Kiss and Say Goodbye, which was released in 1976. The song won a Grammy Award for Best R&B Performance by a duo or group of vocals in 1981. Hey, kind of like... Wait, 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 wait. Let me try something. Let's see if this works. I have gotten vinyl. Do you want me to play? Um, does it does it sound good? First of all, yeah, it sounds pretty good. Cool. It's a good song. I find it interesting that it won the Grammy Award for Best R&B Performance by a duo group with vocals in '81, whereas five years before that, mm-hmm. um, Earth, Wind, and Fire won that same award for their song "Shining Star." What? So that's kind of funny. It, do you think it like the '81? Grammys, they like got it mixed up and accidentally called Shining or uh, Earth Wind and Fire to the stage, <laughs> and then the managers are like, "Hey, wait a second, we already got that. They're phonies. They're <laughs> imposters." I wouldn't have guessed. Um, this is the other thing I wanted to mention. I didn't. I wouldn't have guessed that this song would have came out as late as 1980. I know, right? It sounded a little bit earlier than that, but that's cool. Yeah. So I guess we already listened to a clip of Shining Star, it thanks is. to Kyle's um, extensive vinyl collection. So. Not that extensive. Well, you have over 100, don't you? I have 120. Damn. So do you have the single of that, or is it... No, this is the whole album. This is off their album, After Midnight. Oh, cool. So yeah, that was that. Yay for culturedness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that was Shining Star by the Manhattan, so hopefully the vinyl version of it sounded as good as digital. I don't know. Because it is coming through a microphone. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if, like, when they had uh, when they had radio stations before digital music, if they would just play the records in like their studio booth and then just play it through the mic- same microphone they talked through. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they had some way of like transmitting the sound directly. I don't know. That would have been so cool though to like see a radio station in the 70s because they would just have like a huge library of vinyl. Yeah pretty awesome so yeah that was a uh, shining star by the manhattans coming up next we have you can do magic by lady and the family cooking 
Uh, Lemmy and the Family Cooking is an American group who released a, one single on Scepter Records and then signed with Avco Embassy, where they then released three more singles, which were pretty big hits on the UK charts between 1973 and 1974. Uh, those singles were You Can Do Magic, which reached, reached number three, Dreamboat, which reached 31, and A Walking Miracle, which reached number six. Despite their success in the UK, they really only dented the US charts once with this song, You Can Do Magic, which was number 84 on the Billboard Hot 142 on the Billboard Black Singles chart. Hmm. I did not know that existed. There was also, oh, I don't remember what song it was, but I was researching one of them, and it mentioned that it was on the Black Albums chart, so apparently they had that too. That's pretty, uh, I don't know if that's awesome or racist. (laughs) A little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, I think they eventually changed it to... Uh, is that the one that eventually turned into maybe R&B? Uh, or some, well, this, this, was, this was in the early 70s, so by then I, they had to have an R&B chart. That's weird. Yeah. I think it's... I don't know. Maybe they merged them. Maybe. Or something. There's too many charts. <laughs> I wonder if they had, like, the yellow the yellow charts, the red charts. <laughs> don't even go there. The white charts. God. <laughs> they, were all, they were all color-coded, too. <laughs> so this song only reached number 84 that's really low i know that's why i said like i heard this song but it was one of those songs where it's a total one-hit wonder so i had no idea who sung it Mm. and that's a pretty awesome name by the way it makes me think of food oh let me in the family cooking yeah it sounds like (laughs) a name of an awesome redneck cookbook (laughs) yeah it does paula dean's cookbook (laughs) The, uh, regarding the band themselves, um, although the leader, Lemmy Snow, was born in Dalton, Alabama, his family moved to Canton, Ohio when uh, he was very young, and he recorded at Columbia Records at the age of 11 as a solo artist before joining family members Jimmy and Martha Schneo to form Lemmy and the Family Cooking. So He started at age 11? Yeah. He's like the white... I don't know if he's white. He's like the Alabama version of Stevie Wonder. That's true. He's probably white, because what self-respecting black person would name their kid Lemmy? <laughs> Sounds like a lemming. He's a lemming, he just follows people. So yeah, um, not a whole lot that I could really turn up regarding this song, so it's definitely one of those obscure one-hit wondering type things. Yeah. Um, it's a good song, though. I listen to it, and I'm like, oh, I know this song. So hopefully, when you guys listen to it, you will have the same reaction. That's a good song. I mean, yeah, I can't really think of any other songs by this group on the top of my head. Um, I didn't think of it. Like, even the ones that I had mentioned previously, I'm just like, I don't know any of these. Yeah. That's kind of too bad. Because this song's catchy. Yeah, it is. Like you said, I guess they're one-hit wonder. Mm, a little bit. Kind of, yeah. However, the next band that we have coming up is definitely not a one-hit wonder. That's true. Um, and what band is that, Peter? That band is America. America! Which is the best band name ever. Sunday. <laughs> so the band America were a folk rock duo. Uh, well, by this point they were. They used to be a trio um, before this. Um, they also have a song. Was there a civil war between them? Probably, yeah. Actually, 
one of the members uh, seceded. Yeah. And uh, later, um, I'll get to that in a minute. But this song called "You Can Do Magic." was released by the duo in 1982, and it was included on their album View from the Ground, released on Capitol Records. The song was written and produced by singer-songwriter Russ Ballard, whose contribution actually helped America gain popularity again after they had kind of lost um, the public interest after their third member. Dan Peake left the group five years earlier, in, I don't know, 76 or something, to pursue a solo career. So I guess after he left, um, America kind of slowed down and nobody really cared about them anymore. But thanks to Russ Ballard with this song and a few others, uh, they were able to gain popularity again, which is pretty cool. It's funny because in the late seventies, America actually did slow down because they were in a recession. That's funny. Well, not funny, but <laughs> that's slightly relevant. <laughs> we should, we should have foreseen this when America broke up. Yeah. Um, the song You Can Do Magic was a ver- veritable hit for the duo. As I was saying, they hadn't seen any chart success since 1976. Uh, the song peaked at number eight in October of 1982 and remains one of their most popular songs, which is pretty cool because probably by the time that they were losing popularity, they were thinking, man, we'll never be on the charts again. But then they were. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. According to the Honolulu Star Bulletin in 2009, the duo still performs over 100 shows per year. Which is pretty impressive. That's wow. Granted, that was four years ago, but still, mm-hmm. even if they're doing fewer now, there's still a lot. Seriously. More than I would have guessed. That's one so in three cool. days, roughly. Yeah. So, let's listen to a clip of You Can Do Magic by America. Um, you you can definitely realize that this is a folk rock song, not a R&B <laughs> uh, soul song like the last one, but uh, it's, it's a good song. I like it. It's kind of catchy. Peter, have you ever been through the desert on a horse that did, that did magic? <laughs> no. That is a good song, too, though. With a horse with no name. Yeah. By them. By them. I don't know if I want to mention this, because it might spur a huge tangent, but I remember when that song was played in Breaking Bad in, like, season two. Oh, Breaking Bad. They seriously like need to just have a soundtrack of all the songs they played throughout Breaking Bad because there's a lot of really good songs in there. I remember in the first couple of seasons a lot more. I think they kind of, especially like in the last, I think in this last season they haven't played as much music. Well, yeah, because it's been more because it's been more serious. But um, the first couple of seasons certainly, there's they, a lot of good music on the show. They did play that song in that recent episode where he's, spoiler alert by the way, where he's rolling a certain something through the desert and they're playing that one song. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was a good song. Oh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, I guess the last two episodes are going to be an hour and 15 minutes or something like that with commercial. But they're basically like 15 minutes longer. Yeah. So yay, more bad to break. More bad to, more bad to break, yeah. Oh my god, that last... So the third to last episode was last week. The next second to last episode will be tonight. As of this recording. I wonder, I wonder how many people are going to tune in to view the last episode. It's probably going to be, like, the most watched TV thing ever. Yeah. More watched than, like, Friends. <laughs> I, I'll try not to deep, 
like dive myself into Breaking Bad because it's addicting, just like meth. <laughs> and funk. Yes, of course. Don't, everyone knows funk is addicting, addicting. That goes without saying. That's why you keep listening to our show. Yes. <laughs> we have to get the color right. <laughs> so yeah, the next duo of songs with the same name is the song Steppin' Out, which is performed by both Cool and the Gang and the Gap Band. So the Cool and the Gang version of Steppin' Out uh, was off their 15th studio album released in 1981, so they, they were cranking. <laughs> yeah, That's a lot of albums. While it didn't really live up to the same level of success as the band's previous two albums, it still contained uh, two hit singles, Take My Heart, which went to number one uh, on the R&B chart, and Get Down On It, which went to number four on the R&B chart. In addition, the song Steppin' Out ended up at number 12 on the R&B and number 89 on the pop chart, which isn't too shabby. In the UK, the album actually reached number 10, so it was... A bit more successful there, even than it was here. And it became their first hit album there, and the most successful studio album of all, largely due to the success of the Get Down On It single. Wow. So it was their 15th album, but it was their most successful to date? Yeah, because they... Because of Get Down On It? Yeah, basically. That's like their song. Hmm. That that or Jungle Boogie. That's pretty cool, because that's uh, cool in the gang. They had a lot of good stuff, because they were cool, and they had a gang. (laughs) Similar to the other song, I couldn't really turn up a whole lot about this other than the fact that it was indeed a song that they did. Hmm. I'm kind of surprised because I I thought that this was a relatively well-known song by them. It probably is, but there's probably not like a song, its popularity, anything really special about it. It's just like, oh, it, it was a successful song off a successful album in the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like this song. Definitely one of my more favorite... More, more favorite <laughs> Definitely one of my... Uh, more appreciated songs from them. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite Cool in the Gang song? And don't say Steppin' Out. <laughs> it's not Steppin' Out. Um, maybe Jungle Boogie? Yeah. Ladies Night is a good song, too. I like Celebration. Celebration is pretty good. Yeah. You know what's a really good song? Because, okay, well, Hollywood Swingin' is a, one of my favorite songs by them, too. Mm-hmm. I guess Jamiroquai did a cover of this, but it was featuring Cool in the Gang, so I guess it was just a joint thing between Cool the Gang and Jamiroquai. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds pretty similar, but it's more beefed up, and that's a really good version of that Oh, song. the, Jamir- mean the, the Jamiroquai, Jamiroquai slash, Yeah, the Jamiroquai cover of Hollywood Swingin'. The only Cool in the Gang album I have, which is sad, is their album, Something Special, which has Steppin' Out on it. What the hell? Okay, I gotta play that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, wait a second. Oh, it also has... Okay, so the, the only album I have is the album we're talking about. <laughs> oh, so I guess we didn't say the name of the album, so I guess that could have been the one. Yeah, the album, for those, the album, for those of you that don't know, is called Something Special. And it is something special. <laughs> Oh, it's done. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of funny. Now you um, said that from that album, Take My Heart went to number one. Yeah, Take My Heart I went to number one. I don't know if I've even heard that one. Would you like to? Um, no. I'm good. <laughs> it's funny, the Stepping Out is actually the first song on the album, so. Hmm. It's because it's like they're stepping out onto the stage of your eardrums. Uh, well, yeah, that's a good album starter. Yeah, really. That's cool. Um, so yeah, that was Stepping Out by Cool and the Gang, and you got to, you guys got to hear the uh, final version of that, which is always nice. Mm. Um, what is the other version of Stepping Out, Mr. Peter? The other version of Stepping Out is by The Gap Band. Now, technically, this makes absolutely no difference, but technically, their Stepping Out is Stepping, and then the Out is in parentheses. So it's a completely different song. You could, <laughs> you could argue that the tile is just stepping, but it's always said as stepping with out in parentheses. But that doesn't matter because it's the same name. Um, the Gap Band, as we mentioned way back in our, I think it was our fourth episode, we were talking about groups that were siblings. Mm. The Gap Band was comprised of brothers Charlie, Ronnie, and Robert Wilson. The song Stepping Out was the opening track to their fourth album. Confusingly named Gap Band 2, which was released in 1979 under Mercury Records. That makes sense. Yeah, it was really weird because... I don't remember... Okay, I don't remember the first album name, but their second and third albums were both called The Gap Band, even though they were different albums. Hmm. And then the fourth album was called Gap Band 2. So, a little bit confusing. Part of the reason um, I did notice this in the listing of their disc- discography was that their very first album was under some record label. Then their second one, called The Gap Band, was under a different label. And then their third album was their first one under Mercury Records. And that was called The Gap Band. And then this album, Gap Band 2, was also under Mercury Records. So I'm thinking the naming might be because of their new relationship with this record label. Maybe. Because they kind of just started from the beginning once they went to Mercury. That's all I can guess. Because <laughs> I don't know why you would have two albums with the same name right after each other. So I don't either. Anyway, so that's confusing. Uh, the album Gap Band 2 was integral in establishing uh, the Gap Band as leaders in the R&B slash funk scene. Partly this was due to the release of the single from this album, um, I Don't Believe You Want to Get Up and Dance, Oops, which is also referred to Oops Upside Your Head. Oh, I love Oops Upside Your Head. So that's yeah, arguably arguably one of their, uh, their most famous songs. And that was on this album, so that really helped them uh, gain popularity. Stepping Out was on this album, as I said, but it's not as well known. And there's not really much else I can say about that. Is this is this your favorite? Is this your favorite Gap Band song, Peter? No, it's not. I'd, I'd have to say, un, unequivocally, mine is probably Early in the Morning. That's a pretty good song. Oh, that's a good choice. Early in the morning, find me another Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Now, okay, so you know the song Burn Rubber on Me or whatever? Yes. Burn Rubber, Why You Want to Hurt Me? Yep. So I guess there's a close correlation with that and Early in the Morning, because I guess they're chronological, whereas Burn Rubber, Why You Want to Hurt Me is about a woman leaving him, and then Early in the Morning is supposed to follow right after that, and it's about how he gets up early and he goes to find a new lover because the previous one had left him. <laughs> as much as I like this song... The fact that he feels he has to get up early to find a lover makes it seem like he's like giving out resumes or something. <laughs> like I gotta hit the street, and give out, get get the word out. I'm single. Yeah, he doesn't waste any time with it either. <laughs> yeah, apparently. 
that's something I read once. I don't. I, I assume those are on the same album right after each other. Because um, if they were separate, then I don't know why they would. Burn, yeah, Burn Rubber on Me, or Burn Rubber was off Get Band 3. Early in the Morning is the first song off Get Band 4. Interesting. So even though they're chronological in that sense, they're not even on the same album. Well, they're chronological in the sense that Burn Rubber on Me was the last song of uh, Get Band 3. Well, Early in the Morning is the first song on Get Band 4. That's cool. I don't know. I don't know how what the time span between the releases are, but it's kind of interesting that they played it that way. Yeah, so kind of like the story, the story quote unquote left off at the end of Get Band Three, and then picked up basically the next one. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yep. So do you own those albums then, or? I only owned Get Band Four, but I have um, I have Burn Rubber on Me uh, as a single. Okay. So. Oh, you were so you were asking what my favorite uh, Gap Band song was. It was. I really like Outstanding. That's a good song. Ooh, good choice. Uh, and of course, You Dropped a Bomb on Me, possibly the most famous song. Easily. Yeah. I think we should listen to Stepping Out, because so, then otherwise we're just going to listen to a whole Gap Band album. <laughs> So clearly you can see that this Steppin' Out song is... It is upbeat, just like the other Steppin' Out by Cool the Gang, but they are completely different songs. And uh, only two years apart in their releases. Oh, like between what? Between... Cool, oh, the two versions. Gap Band was 79 and Cool the Gang was 81. Oh, I see. Yeah, it seems like that seems to be the case. Like the, the two, You'd think that more like it would be more common for songs to have the same name if they were released like decades apart. Yeah. It would go out of the public conscience. But most of the time, it seems these songs are fairly come close together. Like yeah. Within, like within eight years. Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of odd. Uh, I don't have anything written down about how popular Stepping Out by the Gap Band was. I, I mean, even the, even the Cool in the Gang version wasn't that popular. True. So neither one of them was that big. So I guess, I mean, that's part of the reason why it was okay, because they were close together, but neither one of them really did anything. So Yeah. It's not like they're going to lose money from having a song with the same name. The Gap Band can't lose money because they have a gap in their overhead. I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> uh, economic terms, yay. What do we got up next as our, I think, our last uh, duo of songs, Mr. Peter? Um, our last duo of songs is called Boogie Down. One of them is by Eddie Kendricks and the other one is by Al Jarreau. Uh, do you want to tell us about the Eddie Kendricks version first, Kyle? Okay. So yeah, the Eddie Kendricks version of the song, Boogie Down, that was a 1973 song recorded by Mr. Kendricks for Motown's Tamla record uh, label. The song was co-written by Leonard Caston Jr., Anita Poré, and Frank Wilson, the same songwriting team that had composed Keep On Truckin', which was Kendricks' first major hit as a solo artist. Caston hmm. uh, and Wilson also co-produced the song, and the original was handled by Caston Wilson and Dan David Van De Petit. De Pit. De something. <laughs> Similar to Keep On Truckin', Boogie Down was more of an up-tempo disco funk number that saw heavy rotation in dance clubs. Hmm. It was released as a single from the album of the same name. Boogie Down became Kendrick's second consecutive single to top the Billboard's R&B singles chart, hmm. holding the number one position for three weeks. 
and just missed becoming his second straight number one on the Billboard Pop Singles Chart, peaking at number two mm. for two weeks. That's still really good, though. Yeah, really. Eddie Kendricks was a popular guy. That's cool. So, no, hold on, because it said Eddie Kendricks was part of his solo career. I want to see who, what band he was in before that. Uh-oh. What? <laughs> Kendricks co-founded the Motown singing group The Temptations, and one of the leading singers from 1960 all the way to 1971. Well, there I you go. I did not know that. Holy hell. <laughs> <laughs> we all learned something off punk radio. His was actually the lead voice in such famous songs as The Way You Do The Things You Do, Get Ready, and Just My Imagination. Hmm. And obviously, as a solo artist after that, he recorded several hits of his own in this, all the way through the 70s, including Keep On Truckin' and Boogie Down. Hmm. Yay. So, uh, actually, yeah. Wasn't The Temptations one of those groups where the lead singer changed a bunch of times? Because they all were said on a, drugs or angry. It said, it said he was the lead singer from 60 to 71, and that was like a majority of their popularity. Yeah, that was pretty much their golden age. So, so um, I, guess, I think yeah, other members changed, but I think he was pretty much constant for a long time. Huh. But yeah, that's pretty... I guess that sounds sort of crazy. familiar. I wouldn't have guessed it, though. That's cool. Yeah, I know Eddie Kendricks has this really kick-ass song. Not Bo- well, Boogie Down's good, too, but he has a song called uh, California Woman that I love. Mm. You should check it out. Cool. So, instead of California Woman, I think we should listen to a little clip of Boogie Down, so you guys can boogie down. <laughs> Has anyone ever boogied up? I don't think so. I think that would, like, defy the laws of boogieing. I mean, can you boogie up the stairs, maybe? Boogie up the downstairs. <laughs> it's a reference to an old movie. Okay. But uh, I think, yeah, I think boogieing up would, like, defy the laws of physics and then rip a hole in the boogie time continuum. <laughs> yes. So, nobody try that at home. Um, so yeah, that was Boogie Down by Eddie Kendricks. Definitely one of his more popular songs. Very, uh, as I said, very dance-oriented, upbeat, fast-paced, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. What's the other version of Boogie Down we have, Mr. Peter? The other version of Boogie Down is by Al Jarreau, who released this song as a single in 1983, so ten years after the uh, Eddie Kendricks version. Uh, this one's a little bit upbeat, too, although maybe not quite as... It's not. I wouldn't dance to it, but it's a, it's a nice, upbeat song. The music video for the song features um, Al Jarreau singing and dancing in the photography studio while lots of people are applying makeup and snapping photos of him. So I guess he's just so cool that people are just tending to his needs in a photography studio and he's getting pictures taken of him. What a jerk. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. but at the, Something kind of funny about that video is that they, at the end of it, um, there's a very cliche 80s thing where there's like the sequence of still frames from him dancing or singing or I don't know if you know what I'm talking about oh I see it's like a photo shoot where they just keep flashing the photos and it's yeah positions. You know what I'm talking yeah about. like a photo montage kinda yeah funny in that way so and is. yeah <laughs> something I didn't know was that this song was featured in the soundtrack to the 1984 film Breakin which is about a struggling young jazz dancer who meets up with two break dancers and they team up to become a sensation among the street crowds cool cool like <laughs> So this was during the breakdance craze during the 80s. mid-80s. Yeah. The film is also known... <laughs> it just made, I'm sorry, but this just made me think of that, that Ice-T, or not Ice-T, um, that Mr. T, it's not related, 
movie where he break dances with the kids. Because it was like, oh, remember that? Should he be someone? Yeah, the educational film. And then in the video, he's like break dancing with the kids. <laughs> yeah, I remember we talked. We had an episode about that, yeah about that video at some point. It was pretty early. Where Ryan was on, and, and then we were all just like, this movie is ridiculous. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. So that's yeah. I think that was might have also been an '84 as well. Nice. Um, but this film, Breakin', uh, is known as the cinematic debut of Ice T. Who, who was quoted as saying that the film and his performance in it are, quote, whack. So I guess that's all he has to say about that. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, additionally, the film's sequel, uh, Break Into Electric Boogaloo, is notorious for inspiring the kind of joke trend of saying whatever to Electric Boogaloo. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Probably. Uh, oh, we're like, whenever there's a movie and then someone's like, oh, my God, they need to make a sequel to that. And it's just like the sequel, colon, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. Which usually suggests that the sequel is ridiculous, absurd, unwanted, unnecessary, formulaic, or obscure. So yeah, like in, like, like Inception Two, Electric Boogaloo. Exactly. Are they making? Aren't they talking about they were going to make a sequel? Or maybe not. They better, I don't. They, it doesn't really need one. They better not. That's so not a movie that even is like needing of a sequel. Yeah. It's too perfect. Although. It's called Reception. <laughs> where they all just walk around trying to get phone reception. You know, but as much as I don't want to see a sequel to Inception, I feel like if they came up with a really well-written story that delved into other aspects of that whole that dream, whole, that whole concept, thing, yeah, that could be amazing. Yeah, but in a large part, I hope they don't do that. They did. They did already. They did come up with a sequel to Inception. Peter it was called Driver San Francisco. <laughs> Something else we talked about on the show. Exactly. Yeah. Well, That's remember because the guy was in like a coma and like his dream world. And he could, like, fly in and stuff. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> Driver San Francisco, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Even uh, though Driver San Francisco was the sequel was a, to, like... Was dri- to Driver 76. Well, yeah. it was sort of... It, was, it wasn't so much a sequel, it was, like, an homage, but... Anyways, yeah. one wants to hear about obscure video games. <laughs> um, They'd rather hear about obscure 80s movies about... Speaking, speaking of video games, I think we want to do a five-minute funk on this, but... It, are, are you, like, blown away at how ridiculous Grand Theft Auto V has become as, like, a thing? In terms of making money. It made, like, a billion dollars in three days. Yeah, like, and that's surpassed, like, any video game or movie. That's surpassed, like, any entertainment Anything consumable thing existence. in the world in existence. It, in like, terms of making money. Yeah, it, it, like, raised the GDP of, like, Rhode Island in three days. <laughs> It's the it's also the side of Rose Island. Yeah, we have to stop this game. It's a missile the size of a, the Chrysler Building. <laughs> um, but yeah, the game is pretty awesome. I have not played it yet because I only have a lowly PC. So that's it, another big thing too is the whole petition to release the PC version. Well, they I don't know if there's a petition to release it earlier, but they always do release a PC version out of the games. But they always come out like eight months later, which blows. Mm. So it'll probably come out like you know, April of next year for PC or something. Mm. So I'll just have to wait, I guess. Or I could be financially irresponsible and go and buy a PS3, even though the PS4 comes out in two months. That's true. Just to play one game. You know, I have a PS3, but I feel like I would rather what? wait and get it for PC. I don't know. I mean, uh, a lot of the control mechanics I, w- I would think would be better on PS3. Because I have I have Grand Theft Auto 4 on PC because I got it when they had a Steam sale. And, like, the driving and stuff is way harder to control. 
Oh, weird. So, I mean, since you have the option, I would actually probably recommend getting it on console. Mm. Okay. But uh, the reason, because you were saying we want to do a five-minute funk on it at some point. Yeah, you want to do a five-minute funk because I was reading and they have, like, these fake radio stations within the game that play, like, a pretty crazy large variety of music. And for some of the different stations that represent different genres, they actually got actual people indicative of those genres to kind of do voiceovers for, like, the DJs. And there's, like, a funk and soul station. And the, for the funk station, deep, the DJ that they have in the game is Bootsy Collins. And then for Soul, I think it's Pam Greer or something. Mm-hmm. And there's other ones, but I just thought it'd be cool to talk about. So you guys can yeah. look forward to that in the future since the game just came out. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the end of our list here. So We did not listen to a clip of Boogie Down yet. We don't, need, we don't need to. <laughs> we do. Okay. We better just so our listeners. I tried. We're talking. About. I tried to flip through my records because I know I have this album, but I can't find it. I don't think I put it in alphabetical order, so whatever. Oh, uh, okay. It's okay. Well, we'll listen to the digital version instead. That's cool. Well, that ends our episode for today about different songs with the same name. We do have quite a list of other songs in this same idea. I mean, there's way more than we can fit into one episode. Um, I don't know, Kyle, whether we want to do those back-to-back after this one or if we want to do other stuff in between or what we can do. Um, pretty, pretty much whatever. I was going to say, do we, if we have enough for another episode, then maybe otherwise we could, because the first, the first time... We have enough for at least two more episodes, if not more. Dang. But didn't the first one we do, wasn't that like way early? I think we should spread them out, so it's more like a, every once in a while we have continuation yeah. of this topic. Yeah, we could totally do Let's that. Let's do that. Yeah. So, more of this in the future, not immediately, but someday. I was going to say, because yeah, you labeled this part one, I could just before we did an episode about the same thing before. Maybe not. Maybe I'm maybe, maybe I'm confusing it with with us doing maybe an episode confused. on covers. Yeah, you maybe you are. Yeah, my bad. Because that's the only other situation where there would be multiple songs with the same name. Yeah. Because they were. I think I think we did an episode with covers, where the covers were done by artists that weren't of the same genre, and that's how somehow I got maybe. confused with this. Maybe. Anyways, yeah. so yeah, this is get this is I guess part part. Uh. So okay. next time is part D. I'm speaking French, Peter. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> it's it's part, uh, part, uh, part Monday. <laughs> Actually, it's Sunday. Well, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, the funk doesn't know time. The funk, the funk is not bound by your earthly calendars. That's true. Uh, so yeah, that has been an episode of Funk Radio. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'm you, one of your hosts, Kyle. Name your other host, Peter. But before we go, I want to mention not only our regular spiel about um, liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk and subscribing to us on iTunes under the podcast section. We're called Funk Radio. I hope you know that by now. <laughs> um, but also, I completely forgot until right before we started recording this is that I did set up the Funk Radio user on Spotify and I went through and made playlists of the songs from all of our episodes. Like, wait, all um, previous episodes? Yes. Dang, you've been busy. So, 
Um, there are a few episodes missing, you may realize, um, because in some episodes we don't necessarily talk about specific songs. Yeah, oh yeah, um, like, but like it, ones that are more like general themes or whatever. Yeah, most of the time we do, though, so there are playlists for most of our episodes so that you can listen to the full versions of the songs because um, we generally don't play full versions of songs on the show. But, um, you know, when I, when I, while I was going through, I realized we'd actually play some pretty good music on this show. So, I mean, if, if it interests you at all, I encourage you to check out our Spotify user thing, I guess. Sure. Yeah, um, you can... we'll, post a, we'll post a link to it on our Facebook page. Yeah, you guys can subscribe, and if you use Spotify, whenever there's updates, it'll notify you so you can hear all the new stuff we, we uh, compile so to speak yeah exactly so i mean as we release an episode we will simultaneously release a playlist i can dig it pretty cool okay that's all i have that's all i got so bye we love you bye for more podcasts and the latest news in gaming movies and entertainment visit 8thCircuit.com